So, you fancy joining a cult where you go out and flirty fish, which basically means you get people back to your cult for sex? Sounds alright. It wasn't. This is the story of the children of God. Welcome to Enter the Dark. And welcome to Enter the Dark. I am Jan. With me as always is Les. Now Les, we have had it pointed out that I always ask you how you are, but you never ask how I am. So Les, how are you? I'm alright mate, how are you? That's none of your damn business and I'll thank you to stay out of my personal affairs. There you go, he's asked. There you go, so welcome. Yes, today's episode is on the family slash children of God. He had many names, keep changing it because you know. It's what cults do when they're dodgy. Um, But before that, speaking of cults, let's read out some names. By the way, everyone, have you seen my new stickers? Look, these serial killer stickers here. Yeah, these were given to us by our very good friend Adela on Instagram, who has the neatest handwriting ever. Jesus Christ. Guys, look at this handwriting. Look how neat this is. She's amazing. Um, so you can buy these on her Etsy. Um, so get I'll put the address below. But Adela, thank you so much for sending them this. Yeah, um, thank the you. fucking awesome look, Chickatillo. It's Chicky Baby. Hey. Little Chickatillo. We've got Ed Gein here. Uh, you know, Ted Bundy, Eileen here. Amazing. Yeah. So um, go check her stuff out. She's amazing. She also does a lot of Taylor Swift stuff because she's a big Taylor Swift fan. And she does look after dogs as well. And she's amazing and got really cool tattoos. Go check her out. She's awesome. She's always talking to us. She's amazing. But yes, um, our cult of our sick fuck family. We have Hannah Blue Hannington, Amanda Champagne, Astoria Crowley, Amy Emmer and Jack Coleman, Lisa Dempsey, Marie T. Jensen, Casey the Cannibal, Misty Day, Becky Louise, Izzy from the Clink, Jules Henderson, Richard Vaccarelli, Michelle Hudson, Alicia Llewellyn, Mandy Madden, Little Mascara, Cookie Fenner and Fire Pixie. Fire Pixie. Fire Pixie, Fire Pixie. I've said your name for the last few episodes, but you keep banging on to Les that I don't. Fire Pixie. Fire Pixie. There you go. Give us sass. Tell them. Right. Yes, so Les. Mm -hmm. Changing it up today. I've got my own book. Oh. I've got Jan's Big Book of Cults. Oh. Forward by Charles Manson. It's limited edition, this is. I can tell. Because I only printed off one cover of each. So, yes, let us delve in to the children of God. So, Leslie, children of God is only one of the names given to the cult originally led by David Berg, a man who looked like a thinner, less jolly, more randy Santa Claus. All right. Yeah. The group started as the relatively denim-clad, happy-clappy-sounding Teens for Christ. God, that sounds depressing, doesn't it? That does sound bad, doesn't it? The teens for Christ. Teens for Christ. Jesus. Titty fucking Christ. And now it exists under the feebly and the boring, ambiguous name of the Family International. International. They're international family. Sorry, by the way, my voice will go keep going because I went to Wembley this weekend and my voice is fucked still. Um, Port Vale got promoted. Hey, nice one. Thank you. It's football for all you Americans, not that shit you watch, the proper stuff. Um, yeah, so I've got family who are international. Yeah, same. So, you know, 
You know, it's not a big deal, is it, David Berg, you massive dick? Until you get to the dark side of the children of God, though, there is definitely one the group appears gleefully like a late 60s or early 70s hippie stereotype with good-looking, pious hedonists in flare jeans playing acoustic guitars and growing large quantities of organic vegetables and unfettered sideburns. bit like you. Mm. But you don't grow organic vegetables, do you? No. Why? No. I thought that'd be a thing, you. You, you. I think you should have an allotment. I'd like an allotment. There's just nothing going around here. There's loads in Silverdale. One day. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of people that you just know would say, Jesus is a real groovy cat. A real groovy cat. Yeah, while they're braiding your hair in a meadow. I mean, that's just sort of like, that's just how they get you into cults. Right, braiding your hair. Braiding your hair, you know, coming on to you. And like, by the way, do you know Jesus? So so my old teacher got me. Anyway, (laughs) the kind of people who want to be good Christians, but also want to have an almost unbelievable amount of sex. A bit like Les. So the timing and sexy doctrine suited Jeremy Spencer, who was one of the founding members of Fleetwood Mac. Really? Yeah. So well, he became a long-term member, and the cult is hardly ever mentioned without making reference to its other celebrity alumni. Early followers include Rose McGowan's parents and the parents of River, Joachim, and Rain Phoenix, all three of whom sang on the streets for donations to help the fund the cult's communal lifestyle. Oh, wow. Now, it's important, although... Not no, narratively nece- necessary for to tell you this, but I'm going to. To note that River, Wickham and Rain's real surname was Bottom. And they changed it to Phoenix after splitting with the cult in the late 70s. Now, the Phoenix imagery was incredibly symbolic to their family in the circumstances they found themselves in. Rising from the controlling and deeply problematic flames of a cult. And the name change was also no doubt a considerable relief for Rain Bottom. Rainbow. River Bottom. River Bottom. I mean, bottom. that makes sense. Well, it? it does, yeah. Wikian Bottom. Mm. Anyway, born to Christian evangelists in 1919, it's unsurprisingly that Davy Burke was a fan of Jesus. As a young man, he helped his parents with their missionary work, and by the time he was in his 30s in the 1950s, he was pretty sure he wanted to take on preaching himself in his own terms. He started to think more and more that other Christians weren't interpreting the Bible properly or following Christ's teachings accurately. Berg believed that too much time was spent in fancy churches performing rituals and not enough out in the world doing and saying good things to the unconverted instead of within the echo chamber of the parish. Now, he's got kind of a point there. Yeah. If you want to, you know, go out and teach people about things, you've got to be proactive and get out there, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. But, like, you know, sitting in the church, like, oh, we're all good Christians. Yeah, you got to put yourself about. Yeah, he did. I mean, he did put himself about yeah. quite a bit. We'll get to that, though. <laughs> oh, he's a randy fucker. Anyway, as he worked odd jobs and searched for direction, Berg crystallised his philosophy and perfected his good lo- his shtick. Church was for squares, Les. For squares. For squares. He was more for spreading the word through good-looking missionaries and evangelists, living poor like his old mate Jesus did and reaching out to people. Reaching out and going, hey, guess what? Jesus loves you, man. He loves you. Don't worry about what you're doing. 
He loves you. That's reassuring. See? And th- see Sold it. Sold if it that was a girl, you'd be like, do you want to go for a drink? Yeah, tell me more about this Jesus. Yeah, tell me more about this Jesus fellow. He called the kind of outreach evangelicism he dug witnessing. 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 And decided what the path forward should be. So it's going out and being a witness, apparently. Don't know what a witness to. The good word. Oh, nice. I could tell you went to church. Yes. So, starting in 1968 in Huntington Beach, California, Berg successfully targeted the disillusioned, free love-seeking hippie counterculture. Because, you know, mostly idiots anyway, aren't they? I mean, come on. They're off the face all the time. Right? They're not going to be... Holy compass, man. Yeah, as long as up, hey, you're really groovy. Jesus loves you. You know, are you on acid, yeah? Look, here's Jesus. Fucking sock puppies. You go, oh, wow, it's Jesus, man. Oh, we could do that. Let's go find people who are on acid and freak them out with the puppets. Yeah. Let's do that. And hey, running a coffee shop and slinging an acoustic guitar across his torso, like that guy you hate at the parties, Berg found it easy to catch the ear of Young and the Restless, not the TV show, the actual young people who were restless. And he gathered enough attention to come to the notice of Fred Jordan, a 1950s television evangelist, who offered him to use a use of a ranch of his in Texas to base his group from. Should he need it, which he did. He's gonna you need a base for a call, don't you? Oh yeah, yeah. So soon Berg had enough followers up to, to up sticks and hold their holies westward. And with just over a hundred missionary wannabes, he settled at the ranch, with Jordan had whimsically called the State the Texas Soul Clinic. He was near Thurby. For anyone who wants to know. That's not like was. mending shoes, though. No. Oh, Soul Clinic. It got with it. Spelt different. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Thurby? Fuck. Thurby. What's Thurby out of? Thurby. Thurby. It was out of a show. Oh, Gold Rush. Sorry. No worries. It's a guy called Thurby. Anyway. Her name, Thurber. Well, it's not his real name, first name. It was his surname, but everyone called him Thurber. I don't know what that he, means. He had a what's, very good mis- moustache. What's a Thurber? I don't know. Wiki, it, wiki that shit. Yeah, put it in the comments. I can't be arsed. I'll forget about it you by the time we finish. You'll forget about it when I read this next word. Fred was only too pleased to become a kind of an evangelical mentor to David as he was fixing to expand his niche. Wholesome Christian families to crack the youth Christian market. That's a hard market to crack, isn't it? But a lucrative one, apparently. It is, yeah. All them Christian bands. My own prison, my own prison. Should have been dead on a Sunday morning. Any excuse for creed. Jordan was a pioneer of televised preaching with his show Church in the Home. Church in the home. Yeah. And he and his wife opened a number of missions in the US, Africa and South America with the aim of providing aid to the homeless. Oh, so they were international then? Yeah. I mean, they get international then. I'm pretty sure there's a chapter around here. There might be. Bet it's in Tunstall. If, if there is, you should join it just for a day to sh- and tell me about it do it (laughs) so david learned a lot about evangelizing from fred jordan and jordan's made use of berg's natural promotional abilities and his knack for youth outreach members of teams of teens for christ appeared regularly on church in the home 
So it was a happy, clappy, symbiotic relationship for some, each holy dude successfully using the other to expand their message to a broader group. So in 1970, around 120 of Berg's followers, having renamed themselves the marginally more adult Children of God, because you know they're not teens now. No. I, I, well, how's that more adult? That's gone backwards, hasn't it? Yeah. Now they're children. Teens for Christ, but Children of God. But we're all God's children, aren't we? Yeah, Apparently. that's true. I think on realising that you want a God's children, that's a commitment, and commitments are adult. Yeah. So they moved into Texas Soul Clinic Lunch and started transforming the place. The sudden overnight presence of a bunch of barefoot hippies upset the local cowboys and rattlesnakes in equal measure. But nothing gets yard work done like blind faith, and Berg would soon organise the disused ranch from a backwater to a relatively high-functioning community. Convenient for the rattlesnakes, though, if they're not wearing shoes. Yeah, and also, you know, there's probably, like, piles of wood now where they're going to use it, and the rattlesnakes... Snakes like, get, get in there. Yeah, fucking house built for me. Yeah. Take that, you hippie bastard. The early commune relied heavily on donations, so members spent most of their extensive waking hours working in the commune, cleaning, cooking, planting, fixing up old school buzzies. Why do all hippie communes have school buzzies? And all of them will, like, cross out the S and the H, so it says cool buzz. Fucking Manson. Had a school buzz. Can't they just like repaint them? Like put flowers on them? That's probably what they fucking do. I know what you mean though. Yeah. It's like them people that like Volkswagens. Yeah. It's like the Jesus Army around here. They've got a double decker buzz. Wait, what? The Jesus Army. Have you not seen them? No. They've got a du- they pull it up in Newcastle sometimes and spread the word of Christ. They've got a double decker buzz. I d- see. The only double decker bus I've seen of note is one that gets driven round here sometimes, but it's tiny. It's like a child's so, double-decker bus. Yeah, but this is like a real double-decker bus where it says Jesus Army on the side. This doesn't, but I just... Why is it so tiny? What's the point of it? It's, it's got a speaker and he says stuff, but I can never understand him. Oh, I've seen him. He just gives shit to people. What does he give to people? What is uh, it? No, he just gives shit to people on the microphone. Like, like, oh, fuck off out me way, you bastards. Well, he wants to watch out, because you could push that, like, uh, you could push that double-decker over quite easily. I mean, he's on the road a lot of the time, so it could lead to a tragedy, but he's asking for it. He is. Anyway. <laughs> so, Bird considered the compound a training ground, pioneering a new brand of com- communal Christian society, and preparing its members to go out into the world, changing people's minds and glorifying Jesus. In Berg's mind, this was the first antil of what he hoped would become a thriving colony, and its ants were being coached to branch out, seeding similar colonies all over the place. Much of his message to followers consisted of claims that the society they were building was superior to anything a church could, ever could or had attempted. So his followers laboured cheerfully, convinced that they were the start of something world-changing. So, members were expected to give up their possessions and income for the cause, change their name to something more biblical, and be pretty suspicious of the system. Being any organisation that wasn't the Christian, uh, wasn't the children of God. This included government, higher education, churches, hospitals, the media. They were all the system and spiritually funded by Satan, which no doubt kept him busy. But it did. I mean, every... All the things they say the devil's doing, he's a busy motherfucker. 
Yeah. Isn't he? Like yeah. teaching people about sex education. Yeah, and, you know, um, like metal music and turning people gay. You know, he's busy, isn't he? You've got, well, to, got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. Yeah, say even that? if you think the devil's evil, you've got to give him his due. You've got to give the devil his due. due. Yeah. He works hard. It's a hard worker. Possibly harder than God, because I don't see God doing many miracles. Just saying, you know. Do you? No, not really. What was the last miracle we had? Some fucking statue cried milk or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And that was that just... turned out to be glue. Yeah, or like a weak acid acting on alkaline or something like yeah, that. Yeah, which says a lot, because that's God basically saying... I want you to abuse solvents. Yeah, or science. Learn science, bitches. As a result, children of God became typically cult insular and kept things in-house whenever they weren't witnessing. Children were born in the commune, schooled in the commune, worked in the commune, and only sent out as cherub-faced separators of the system people and their money. Now, numbers swelled to a couple of thousand in the early 70s, and small colonies began their infancy in California, Ohio, Georgia, and Kentucky. All the shit states. Surprised you didn't have one in Florida. Yeah. The more followers you have, the more families and friends of those followers start taking an interest in the group that has taken their loved ones away from them. Parents really hate it when their children leave home to become Christian hippies, wandering around the streets, asking for money and handing out pamphlets. As weird as that sounds. I mean, I would. My kids did that. Get a job. Proper job. This isn't a job. Asking people for money isn't a job. No. Unless you are a debt collector and you get paid a wage for that money. Yeah. Then you would need to give me that. Yeah. But no, get a job. Hippies. Anyway, so Fred was a family man. Respected across the country for his conservative godliness and he couldn't risk the damage of negative parents throwing the word sect and cult around and it might... This is going to, you know, have some sort of effect on his profitable yeah. scam in it. So David Berg was also becoming more and more demanding of Fred's generosity, insisting that they had the right to fully occupy properties Fred owned in exchange for their contributions to both maintenance of the properties and support of Fred's religious empire. Unable to solve their fiscal and ideological disagreements, Jordan and Berg parted ways in 1971. The children of God had established enough additional colonies during their time staying on Fred Jordan's couch. They had plenty of places to go. So they were sort of like, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to go. I'm going to go live with Ohio. Why would anyone go to Ohio? I don't even know if Ohio's a shithole. Let me know. Is Ohio a shithole? I think it's got good and bad places. You've got Cleveland, Cincinnati... No, Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania. They're, they're the two cities, I know. Let me know. Anyway, the group was no longer confining itself to the United States either. No. David and some of his more industrious disciples travelled further afield on missionary-style vacations to Europe, where they witnessed their little hearts out and soon established small colonies in England, Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, Switzerland, Spain, and France. How were they affording this? Donations. God, they must have been getting a lot. Yeah. The group's heady mix of Christian... I imagine if you've got one of the members of Fleetwood Mac in there, he'll give you some money, won't he? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I hate Fleetwood Mac. They're very pedestrian, aren't they? I'm not a big fan of Fleetwood Mac. 
everybody going on about Stevie Nicks. Yeah, Stevie Nicks, go fuck yourself. Like, there seems to be this fascination with Stevie Nicks. Why is she some fucking mother goddess or something? There was somebody, right, who shall remain nameless, but I'll tell you who it is afterwards, um, was saying like, oh, I love Fleetwood Mac, I love Stevie Nicks. Then she said, I literally have every lyric of Fleetwood Mac tattooed on my body. I said, literally every one? She went, yeah, she's got one. Not like even the whole song, just a line. I'm like, that's literally not every lyric. What you mean there is you have a lyric. A lyric. But she was like, no, no, no. It's literally, I was like, it's not, you're using the word literally wrong. Yeah. And that's not literal. That's, that's a bit of scratch yeah. on your fucking body. Yeah. Tell her they're in your next one to one. So the group's heady mix of Christianity and the potential for loads of sex was irresistible to new territories, uh, full of horny yet devout Europeans. It was like the Children of God world tour with every same kind of reach and fashion sense as the Eurovision Song Contest. Eventually, the cult also expanded into areas of South America, India, Asia and Australia, establishing communes and spreading the word. This is why they're the family international, Les. They're really busy, aren't they? I'm impressed by their work ethic. I mean... You, you can't deny the grafting. You can't deny that. They're, I mean, they're not as busy as the Amish. Oh, if, I mean, who is? Who is? I mean, the Amish are busy people. They're in bed dead early as well. Yeah. Up early, building barns. And they let them have a year out, don't they? What's that called? I don't know. Ray, have you seen that show where it's an Amish get like girls and boys out for the year and they just go out like basically get fucked? And then come back. Like, I was scared. Is it called Rumstagger or no, something? No, I, like? I don't. I, I think Rumstagger. it was called Raising Amish. The show. No, like I know that the show is called Raising Amish, but isn't it like? Isn't that what it's called? Like Rumstagger. Rumstagger or rum? It's rum something. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'll look it up. You look quite Amish. Yeah. Shave off your mustache. No. No, become Amish. I don't mind getting in love with the Amish. Seems alright. You would. Uh, like you go, oh, it's eight o'clock, go bed. <sighs> Better knock one out, can't. Yeah, you're right. You raise a valid point. I'll start my own sect of Amish. So you can start a cult? Where you build barns and knock one out? Yeah. Are you going to do that? How are you going to hammer and masturbate at the same time? That's the thing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to fashion, I'm going to fashion a cock sheath in the style. So, of like when you're hammering, it's wanking you off. Yeah, but like inside, it'd be a sort of flashlight sort of thing because like there's a lot of friction. In but there. you wouldn't. No, you can't have a flashlight because that's technology. Mm, you have to shun that. Mm, 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 you see, that's my cults are different, Amish. I'm just using the Amish name. I'm appropriating that shit so people think it's legitimate. You can wear one of the big hats. No, I stand against that. Right, then this is an Amish. You've got to have the beard and a big hat. Could I have a different hat? No. Foam cowboy hat. Giant foam cowboy hat from That's the 90s. That's what I'm thinking. Giant foam cowboy hat. Yeah. And, and foam fingers. <gasps> yes, we're number one. We're, number. We're not the Amish. Make them out of wicker. 
A wicker fist? Yeah. The ace. Wicker finger. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh. Oh, I've lost my port in the back boot now. Anyway, yeah. So, anyone, Les, can go out on the street to talk about Jesus and ask for money, can't they? Yeah. In the late 60s and early 70s, Beard became less interested in preaching directly to people and decided that handing out pamphlets or litnessing. Litnessing. Because he's giving out literature, isn't he? Clever lad. As he called it, was a much more effective and profitable exercise. Photocopies cost less than shoe leather and bus repairs, and pamphlets would allow Berg the opportunity to spread his message equally to followers while being under less public scrutiny himself. It's quite attractive all around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So Berg started to spread his own wisdom and instruction via illustrated newsletters known as the Mo Letters. The Mo Letters. Mo. You should have just got Mo from Men on a Mission. To rap? Yeah. King Mo? Mo. Mo. The Mo came from Big's cult nickname, Moses David. Moses David. Yeah, because one advantage of being a cult leader is that you can give yourself whatever cool name you want. What name would you give you? Hmm. Max Power. Max Power? Yeah, Max Power. I'd go with Ivan Blennerhassett. Sounds like a gay porn star. So he was also called Daddy by first-generation cult members and Grandpa by their children. Daddy. Which should successfully prepare you for just how creepy this shit's about to get. I was going to say it seemed all right thus far. Yeah, this is the thing. It seems like a cool thing, but then it's not. There's um, there's a Louis Theroux episode where he goes to the family, like the Family International, and they say, oh, we don't do flirty fishing anymore, but these three young hot girls clearly are. I mean, it's like, mm, you know, you're talking to guys and pulling up and like being this close to them. And it's like, come on. Anyway, so in 1970, one of the first Mo letters entitled I Got a Split notified Children of God members that Mo had decided to pop himself into seclusion, heralding Berg's decision to live separately from most members to keep his location a secret. He split up from his, sa- from his scarcely mentioned first wife, Jane, in the same year, further signalling a new phase in his life. Now, according to Dad... Yeah, him. Dad, remember, he wasn't in hiding because he was getting bad press and the pressure from disgruntled system parents of the children of God members, but because God told him to isolate himself. Just as Jesus had chosen to go away one Easter to spread his word more widely and effectively, so must Mo, 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 under the visionary orders of God. Now, God's timing was extremely convenient and his use of Jesus's, Jesus to set precedence for David Berg was genius. No wonder people are so fond of God. Yeah. yeah. It's like that uh, King, um, King Missile song, Jesus was way cool. He was like, he could have danced better than Barishnikov. He could turn water into wine. That's so cool. Jesus is way cool. No wonder there are so many Christians. It's a good song. You should listen to it. 
Figuring that his young counterculture followers needy Christian information delivered via a medium less stuffy and more hip than the Bible, the Mo letters became more and more prescriptive, outlining how many pieces of toilet paper followers should use for a number two, and what weight their letters should ideally be to save on postage. Let's not call them number twos anymore, calling them R. Callies and Amber Herds. <laughs> As the children of God established communes called homes, I mean, you, you would, wouldn't you? In more and more countries, partly as a result of avoiding pesky investigations by those uptight systemites, mail letters were a great way to maintain control over members from a distance. Now, via the mail letters, Berg was able to give his followers instructions regarding where they should live, which commune would best suit them, which members of their family they could and couldn't live with, and what they should and shouldn't eat, and who they should sleep with. Oh. Yeah. Often the movements of followers from the commune to commune and country to country, all decreed by Berg, were said to be the result of dreams and visions Berg had had, instead of the fugitive necessity and suspicious persecution that was more likely to blame. Now, the Mo letters also allowed David Berg to live in relative luxury, financed by the tithes of members who were required to pay without his commune-bound living poor followers getting too irritated by it. He surrounded himself with an elite group that would work for him and give him access to their genitals. And access to their genitals, he definitely had. There's no way to put it, he was a dirty old fucker. Separation and seclusion also allowed Berg to be relatively anonymous, at least once removed from any bad behaviour and difficult to find, handy when you're being investigated for a crime or two here or there, which he eventually was, and to maintain an air of authoritative mystery to his followers. Whenever images of Berg appeared in the Mo letters, the photograph was usually altered to, so a lion's head was sketched in over his head. What? Yeah, in exactly the same way that photographs of normal people who don't control thousands of people to feed their own narcissism aren't altered. Everyone on Instagram. It was a two-way street too, as members would return information and statistics about how many people they'd witnessed to and donations they collected, mostly via post. I mean, this man single-handedly kept the international postage system going, didn't he? Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, there was me thinking, you know, writing to a pen friend in America was doing my bit and nothing on David Berg. Nothing on him. They also sent lots of videos about boobs, mostly. As one of Berg's repeated lessons was that God gave us flesh so flesh should be exposed and celebrated, and that followers, well, female followers should glorify God via dancing. He instructed that videos of women dancing should be sent back to him. Wow. Send nuts. It's, it's essentially an early OnlyFans, this, isn't it? Isn't it, yeah. In true Mo style, in 1981, he first sent a detailed list of instructions for the dance videos, dictated that dancers should wear veils and that they gradually removed, describing how he liked the dancers to fondle themselves, instructing dancers to start slow and then get faster, and insisting that anyone too pregnant or with sagging breasts should cover up. Wow. So. Casual body shaming. Yeah, but reading the list of instructions, it's obvious that 62-year-old Berg was essentially directing porn for himself. Unsetting... Unsetting... Unsettingly, I can't speak. Unsettlingly. 
Thank you, Leslie. Videos of both adult women and girls were made as children were encouraged to learn about as much about sex as possible oh Christ. as early as possible. According to the children of God, sex was one, of, was one part of God's love. So sharing love was good and pure and withholding love was selfish, proud and often punishable. Not with children. Never with children. The children of God law of love dictates that free expression of love and therefore sex is holy. Berg figured that since the only sex act God specifically seemed to find distasteful in the Bible was sodomy, then everything else was glorified God. There was only one hole that ain't holy, according to Mo. Really? It's the bum hole. Yeah, yeah, I got, got that. I, I mean, no, he's, he's, if he's not down for sodomy, he's not going to like want to see two girls with the strap on doing anal, is he? No, but I'm sure in the other hole, it's all right. I mean, yeah. To him, every hole but one is a goal. Berg, who was totally fine with being sent a videotape of a child performing a striptease just for him, called male homosexuality a disgusting perversion, most likely caused by female demons. Really? You're there knocking one off to kiddie porn, and you won't let guys blow each other? Come on. Berg was at least efficient in packaging his sexism and homophobia, combining them into both one neat, succinct accusation. Gays are gross and it's because of girls. What? That's its literal thing. Female demons are causing men to be gay. So gays are gross and it's girls' fault. It would be a terrific relief if that's where it stopped with Davy Berg and his uncanny talent for perviness. Shall we start, stop there? Eh? Because we haven't even started on the wanking yet. Just carry on. Followers were encouraged to imagine that Jesus was always present and when they were having sex, including when they were masturbating. Uh, Mo Lettuce even, even distributed containing a list of suggested sexy things you could say to Jesus while you're pretending to make love to him. You just, know what? Just in case you run out of ideas when you're dirty talking with the Messiah. That's gonna, gonna come on you fuck oh, I'm gonna fuck your handholes. That's gonna spice up gonna, this evening. I'm gonna put my spear in your side. Oh, go fucking nail you <laughs> oh, come on, I'm a Roman, you bastard. <laughs> look at me, look me in the eye, I'm gonna give you a crown of thorns. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I just know when this video gets uploaded, I'm just going to have a notification. All ads have been turned off for this. <laughs> right, you ready for some? Ready, ready, go right. for it. The less erotic end of the list are suggestions like telling Jesus that you're in love with him and that you're open for him. And only mildly ambiguous requests that Jesus fill you. Fill if he's not Fill too, me, Jesus. If he's not too busy with other things, because, you know... Jesus got a lot on. Not as much as Satan. Not as much as Satan. I think we've established that now. Satan's uh, workhorse. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, this gets so much worse. Things that get way more freaky, the more erotic end of the list, with increasingly urgent ejaculations, such as, I receive your love, Lord, with open arms and open legs. Flood me with your seeds. And the non-ambiguous... My pussy is excited for you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, 
He hasn't got a such a busy schedule as Satan, but Jesus always has time for imaginary commune quickies with multiple partners. These aren't is, subtle, are they? Which is truly a miracle. That is truly a miracle. So, men indulging in the wankarts were also politely requested to do- adopt a female persona. Because, you know, obviously, sex with Jesus can't be gay. You ever seen that film, Hamlet 2, with Steve Coogan? No. There's a, this was fucking brilliant. But there's a dance routine, and I think it works here, and it's like saying, love me sexy Jesus. And it's Steve Coogan dressed up as a sexy Jesus in a fucking tank top. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, in David Berg's mind, men pretending they're women while grat- well, they gratify themselves and imagine they're having sex with Jesus is way more normal behaviour than just being gay, apparently. Female homosexuality was okay, though, surprisingly. Because since the only sex act God specifically is seen to find distasteful in the Bible, sodomy, everything else was glory, glory to God. You do that fisting, girls. Female homosexuality was okay with Berg because hypocrisy has no place in an old man's inconsistent erections, Les. It's a shame that the internet hadn't been invented when David Burt was getting his start. Otherwise, he might have been too busy to looking at Pornhub to even think about starting a cult. Because of the almost anything goes attitude of Berg and his followers, except for gay sex between two blokes. Obviously, because that's a no-no. Some fairly uncomfortable practices emerged inside and outside the communes. And it's these practices that have brought children of God the most notoriety and media coverage. The first and easily most upsetting of these practices involved was the involvement of children in sexual activity. I mean, it's always going to be, in it? Yeah. To be fair, the belief that children have sexual organs and therefore learn about experienced sex didn't result in any acts of paedophilia across the board. And many, many children of God children reported confidently that they didn't suffer any sexual abuse. Good for you. Tarring all cult members with the same brush is unfair, but it is fair to say that all the children in the group were taught about sex, often via demonstration from a broadly unacceptable age and often from as young as three or four. Now, sex education is important. Now, anybody with a brain or a functioning conscience knows this, okay? Texans, you need sex education. Otherwise, you can't just tell kids that sex is dirty and not expect them to go shoot up a fucking sniper tower. Oh, my penis makes me dirty. Can't do that. You know, you can't. But knowing the difference between teaching children about sex and showing children is some fucking vitally essential if you don't want to fling them into therapy or dangerous behaviour later in life. Don't fuck in front of kids. Uh, the people I'm talking to here aren't going to be watching this video. But send this video out. Go. Oh, it can't be litnessing, can it? Go vidnessing with this video or podcast if you're listening. If, oh, if you're listening to the podcast version, go listening. No, that doesn't work, does it? Just listening. Listening. Yeah, go do that, podcasters. No, we're podcasters. Go. Podcast listeners, go put this on go your... Go put this on a stranger's ears on the buzz. And they'll be like, what the fuck? The communal life is po- is populated, as it's primarily with the hippies in their early 20s, involved communal living, eating, sleeping parties and sex with children present to observe everything. 
Now, a five-year-old in the children of God was more likely to have seen his parents having sex with each other and with other temporary partners than to have seen a t TV. A Mo letter by David Burke entitled, My Childhood Sex, is full of excited claims that it just stands to reason that if it feels good at that age, then the Lord intended for kids to get used to feeling good with sex. If they can have an orgasm at that age, he intended for them to have an orgasm. At, why not? Enjoys. What's so evil about an orgasm? Now, there's nothing, there's evil, nothing evil about an orgasm. In principle. But if the small children that's, having orgasms over watching grown-ups... They're meant to be playing with blocks or, yeah. or cars, toy cars. You're just wrong, David Berg. Yeah. You're just wrong, you. Anyway, Berg tells a story in the same missive about a nanny of his of his filleting him to sleep each afternoon as a three-year-old, which, if true, is goes some way to explaining his own broken and repugnant vices. Children are not Mount Everest, Mr. Berg. You don't have to climb everyone you see. Now, if this attitude to early sex education had been purely just that, just an attitude, perhaps far less damage might have been done, although undoubtedly still some damage. However, two factors turn this generally questionable attitude into actual illegal activity. Illegal activity. Because this wasn't illegal yet. No. Firstly, a religious group that preaches an early introduction to sex will inevitably pique the interest of abusers and create an environment where paedophiles are more or less camouflaged. The BBC. Secondly, and nauseatingly, David Berg was super into incest. He called system laws against incest crazy and believed that neither age nor familial ties mattered if you acted in pure love. Sounds like Donald Trump would have honoured, doesn't it? Yeah, and the beast. <laughs> From uh, the chase. The what? The beast from the chase? Who's he fucking? Second cousin. Was. I that's not illegal though, is it? Still fucking incest. I know, but if you had a hot cousin, you would have banged him by now. No. You would. No, not. No. I bet you money. If you find that you've got a hot cousin, you'll bang it. No. You'll be like, I don't care if she is my cousin, I'm doing it again. No. I'm not. I'm not banging my hot cousin. So have you got a hot cousin? I don't know. I don't really. I don't know. But it's still incest, Jan. It's not. It's second I mean, cousin or not. Yeah, it's, but they can get married. So in the eyes of the Lord, it's not. They're still going to end up with a kid with fucking bandy legs. Yeah, but that's their problem, isn't it? Like that, it's not like you're going to be around raised. It's still incest. Where does the book stop? When you get out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a game show in the UK, by the way, The Chase. They got it in America. We got The Chase in America. Yeah. And he's a big and fat guy. Big guy. He must she's quite tiny. He must have fucking ruined her. I'm not kidding. Well it's like when you see that basketball player who's like like seven foot one, he's getting out with a girl that's five foot two. That pole dancer. I don't know how that works. That's going to hurt. Especially if she pegs him. Imagine that. Yeah, he's going to have to get in an awkward position. I'm I'm thinking there's pulleys involved. Yeah. Probably. 
Look it up later. Right, Beer claimed that there was nothing wrong, for example, with parents helping their children discover themselves sexually by participating in sexual acts with them. Yes, the fucking is. Yeah. What happened to Rose and Fred? Oh, sure, he admitted there are system laws about it. You know, the man looks down on parents for leading the kids. Beer just did... <laughs> but nothing in the Bible said it was wrong, so it's got to be okay with God. There's nothing... In the Bible that says, I shouldn't make a pulley that wanks off a dog. But I know it's wrong. I'll take that apart, by the way. <laughs> Big Justin, <laughs> conveniently though, Big just ignored the parts of the Bible that specifically say not to sleep with your relatives. But their own religious spokespeople have been cherry picking bits of the Bible for their own agendas for a very, very long time. Evangelical Christians. The Habsburgs, like they were Christian. Look Just at any, anyone saying, oh, the Bible says do this. Does it? Because they found this, like, other part of the Bible. It was written on leather in it, in Aramaic. Um, I sent it to you, didn't it? That yeah, meme yeah. where they were saying, like, yeah, Jesus, he didn't say he was the son of God. He was a prophet and he helped people. And, yeah, he was a really nice guy. And he helped everyone out and... Loads of stuff in in the Bible gets pushed aside by this. And he was like, I didn't do all these miracles. I just helped people out. And they said it was a miracle because I helped him and stuff. And they were like, no, that's not real. It's been carbon dated. That's Satan. I'd like to read like every bit of the Bible, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and everything. And all these Bibles that they find that contradict the other bits. Because apparently like, according to this one, Peter was like, Someone who just lived off Jesus' fame and he was a bit of a prick. He does come off as a bit of a prick. Well, you've got, like, the Gnostic Bibles, aren't you? Like, is it the um, Gospel of Thomas? Which is, like, wildly different that said Jesus had a brother. Yeah, Jesus. And, like, there's this bit where there's it said that he casually killed somebody he as probably, a kid. I as mean, a kid. I mean. <laughs> but then brought him back to life. Yeah, he probably knocked him out and then chucked water on him. Like, don't throw stones, lol. Oh, shit. Yeah. Shit. Ah, water, water. I'm calling bullshit on that miracle. So, Boog did advise against speaking openly about incest and the sexual activity of the commune's children outside the communes, though, because, weirdly, the system just doesn't understand their brand of sex education. Weird, that, innit? Yeah. Now, children were also deemed to be communal. Although there's no evidence to suggest this was sexual, sometimes removed from their parents and moved to and from commune on a different schedule to their parents and instructed to call any non-parental members auntie or uncle. Like when your dad's mate comes round and borrows his orbital sandy, you have to call him like Uncle Mike. Oh, Uncle Mike, see ya. Yeah, or like when your granddad's friend comes round and has a bath with you, you have to call him Uncle Daddy. Could just be me. It was not unheard of of the children of God children to forget what their parents looked like or even to never have met their fathers. I mean, it's most kids nowadays, isn't it? Don't know who the fathers are. The second gross practice that generated a lot of attention, barely any supportive, you know, besides, you know, you thought the paedophilia was bad. The children of God seemed relatively benign when compared to the condoning of paedophilia and incest, but it's still gross, Les. It's so it's grim, yeah. Women. 
Women, what are they? No. Whether they felt like it or not, they were required to share themselves sexually with other men in the children of God homes. Now, it was considered a duty and a duty that was only required of women. Within the children of God, adult men only had sex when they wanted to. But very frequently, adult women had sex when they didn't want to with people they didn't want to have sex with. Sharing, as he called it, was so commonplace that the word became a euphemism for sex. And some homes drew up sharing schedules to really get organised about coercing people into a swinger lifestyle. Pencil you in for Wednesday. Now, a passionate mo letter entitled One Wife claimed that to become stronger, sometimes selfish, little exclusionary twosomes should be abandoned for a greater good of a larger communal family. It was a fancy way of saying, can't the rest of us sleep with your hot wife, please? Thanks to his love of sexism and exploitation, David Burke told his followers that women were made for men. They're God's way of saying, here, I love you, so I made this thing with boobs on it. Not you. You've, you've bulked up. Furthermore, it's, he both believed it taught that the best way to celebrate that God loves you is to have sex with his gift to you. The cool thing is, gifts aren't supposed to say no. Any gift that does say no is selfish, self-righteous, and possibly affected by demons. Fucking demons are cock blockers, aren't they? Yeah, no, them demons, sat when they're not. Now, by now, it should be unsurprising, but no less egregious to learn that David Berg has a pretty laissez-faire attitude towards rape. His views are a lot of women who are raped provoke it by doing things like walking alone at night. Have most cases of rape are reported by women who've simply changed their mind while having sex and decided to cause trouble or in line with the thinking of the worst humans. A category of people Berg seemingly aspired to be the king of. If you do think of that, fuck off, by the way. Yeah. Nodheads. Not one to rest on his laurels, though. Grandpa Mo also felt strongly that once a man has passed a certain point of arousal, there's no point in stopping him, so you might as well just go along with it so you don't get hurt. How are they going to get hurt? Well, probably by holding them down and forcing them to have sex less. Just to be clear again, David Berg was not a very good person. If you're not convinced yet, Les, by that, you might be like, well, you don't know. David Berg sent out women to lure men into the cult with their vaginas. This would be your downfall. Children of God's mission. This would be your this downfall. This would be your downfall here, Les. <laughs> Just t- right, I'm going to read this now. Now, you tell me this isn't. Wouldn't be your downfall. Children of God's most notorious and well-known practice was flirty fishing, casual, referred to casually as f-ing in Mola as well, ffing, and as prostitution in the name of Jesus by any reasonable person. Fond of carefully selecting parts of the Bible out of their intended context for authoritative manipulation, David Berg decides that Jesus' statement in Matthew 4.19 to follow me and I will make you fishers of men meant that using sex to spread the word of God was a super cool thing to do. Most of the adult women and the children of God were encouraged to have sex with as many strangers as they could find. Now, they were sent out as bait to fish for men in bars and on the streets, and where possible, they were encouraged to get paid for it to help raise funds for the communes. Women were required to identify men out in the world who they thought might listen to some stories about Jesus with a little encouragement and befriend them using all their womanly tools from mouth flirtation 
through to the act of sex to keep them listening. So, like, would they be midway through the act and, like, telling you stuff about Jesus? I mean, if you're midway, you're having sex with a chick and she starts telling you about, you know, fucking Matthew 4.12, you're not going to tell her shut up. Then I think it's going to encourage me. Yeah, exactly. So... Tell me about Revelation. Now, it does make sense, like, when your leader considers that women's bodies are instruments for enjoyment and that men outside in the system are simpletons so utterly ruled by their penises you could effectively fuck the word of God into them. After witnessing and litnessing, it's a wonder flirty fish and wasn't called clitnessing. <laughs> a rare missed opportunity for beer, colloquially speaking, of course. The Mo letters on the subject of flirty fishing refer to FFs as hookers for Jesus and God's whores, question mark, which are interesting for their random approach to punctuation as they offer celebration of physical exploitation. In one Mo letter from 1974, Big writes that if you have already got a reputation of being quite free with your sex, you might as well get expect to get raped once in a while or run across a situation where you were forced somewhat against your will. Once again, he was a prick. Just letting women and the children of God know that every once in a while they might get raped as a general work hazard. Not to worry though, because being raped provides an excellent opportunity to tell your rapist about Jesus. Don't fight, show him the light. Oh my God. In addition to the Mo letters, their covers resplendent with nubile young pieces of bait with their tits out, there were publications called True Comics, that's comics with a K and an X at the end, more liberally saturated with illustrations and standard Mo letters in order to appeal to younger members of the children of God. There was an issue of True Comics entitled The Little Flirty Fishy, which was intended to explain to children why mummy sometimes comes home late and cries. Women not willing to sell their bodies to... That's co- fucking awful. I know. I'm going to try and find some copies of them. Was there like a little cartoon fish? I don't know. I'll find a copy of it. They've got to be online somewhere. They've got to be, aren't they? Women not willing to sell their bodies for the cause were not considered proud and selfish, while at the other end of the spectrum, women who not only fished but snatched a donation in the process were sanctified, celebrated, and seen to be selfishly doing the Lord's work. Successful fishers were lauded in Moe's letters, unsuccessful or unwilling ones scorned and ostracised. Instructions were soon distributed via Moe letters regarding how to ES, or escort service, making sex work for donations a legitimate children of God policy. If there was one thing David Berg loved more than using women for sex, it was using acronyms for phrases that described using women for sex. Each communal home was required to send detailed monthly reports to leaders listing how many FFers had sex, how heavily they witnessed at the time, what the occupation of their fish was, and who were their top three fishers. Of course, men were discouraged from fishing, partly because the ladies could be more successful and profitable without a bloke hanging round, but most likely because Berg's general philosophy stance of no homo. The whole mess becomes... Even more grotesquely horrifying when you consider David Berg's stance on birth control. Yeah. At this point, there should be no shock at all that he learned that he was dead against it and even more vehemently opposed to abortion. In the children of God, the greatest gift the Lord could give you as a child and methods of birth control, or Satan's own contraptions as he called them, were incredibly offensive to God. 
it was a woman's duty to have children along with all of her other duties. And the more children there were, the more members of the children of God there were. Burr claimed it was boys who would grow up to be kings and the girls would grow up to be their queens. It would appear that even David Burke didn't realise when he was busy sending women out to have unprotected strikes with strangers in the name of God that both birth control has a secondary purpose in the field of disease prevention or he considered STDs to be a precious gift from God. Either way, he was a dumb motherfucker. These upsetting practices, though incom- those of the involvement of children in sexual practice and the exploitation of women to law followers, are both embodied in the example of Ricky Rodriguez. Now, David Berg had five children himself, four biological and one adopted. Now, the officialness of the adoption is questionable, considering the flexible approach to parenting within the cult, where children were more or less brought up by whoever was nearby rather than his or her biological parents. But Ricky Rodriguez was the son of Berg's second wife, Karen Zerby, and considered part of his royal family. Now, according to the story in the Children of God publications, Karen became pregnant with Ricky after flirty fishing his father, a hotel employee in Tenerife. Tenerife. Always Tenerife. There's quite a few British girls out there who've done that. It's not clear whether or not Karen was ably successful to indoctrinate the hotel employee with the word of Jesus, but the hotel employee definitely indoctrinated Karen with a growing fetus. When Ricky was born, in a textbook display of narcissism, Berg renamed him Davidito. Davidito. He also named the daughter of Ricky's nanny Sarah and her husband's Alfred Davida. Davida was also considered a member of the royal family and permitted to live in the same house as David, whoever else was considered devout and sexy enough at the time. The day-to-day activities and development of Davito and Davida were used in a number of Mo letters in the book called The Story of Davidito. Catchy. Yes, yeah. As examples of good and godly child-rearing, the two were relentlessly photographed for letters as the perfect children of the perfect father, despite Berg being the biological father of none of them. Children who become famous at a young age are often messed up by experiences, and this was no chi- and there was no child more famous within the cult than Ricky as Davidito. I hope that name, Davidito. Unfortunately, the story of Davidito provides to be a more of a warning than a book of instructions. While some of the instruction, instructional narratives in the story of Davidito were about playtime, education and religious instruction, a horribly large part was about his interaction with his nanny, Sarah. Many of their interactions could quite be feasibly understood by normal people as sexual grooming. Looking through the pages of the book is not recommended. The book implies strongly that e- even at two years old, he was interested in sex and loved having his penis washed, kissed and played with. Come again. He did. It refers to DeVito as flirty and sexy and includes photographs of him in bed with Sarah, both naked, in utterly inappropriate scenarios. In later years, when the cult had morphed into the Family International, the story of DeVito was one of the many documents the cult leaders ordered destroyed or heavily censored due to his due to unwelcome investigation by outsiders in the system. The extremely watered-down Dito, his early years, even watered down his name. (laughs) Dito, the early years. Is seen as a previous book's more appropriate replacement, 
But the idea that censorship occurred to protect the group from investigation and prosecution and not to protect children from paedophilia and damage remains horrible. And damage it certainly did. Ricky left the cult in 2001 at the age of 26 with his partner, finally breaking from what he had long considered to be an abusive and manipulative organisation. Now, like so many ex-cult members, he found it impossible to adjust to life on the outside. His marriage broke down and Ricky became obsessed with revenge against his mother and nannies and justice for all those who were harmed by the group's practices. In 2005, Rodriguez made a video of himself calmly loading a gun and preparing other weapons, praising the Republicans for their lax gun laws and explaining to the camera that he was abused as a child and had contemplated suicide ever since and that his mother must pay for the things she'd done. Now, he'd had difficulty tracking her down and due to her position first as David Berg's wife and then as cult leader after his death, it was in her best interest to maintain her husband's fondness for seclusion. Soon after making the video, Rodriguez arranged to meet Angela Smith, one of the former nannies in The Children of God. He stabbed her to death in, the apart- in her apartment in Arizona, drove to California, sat in his car and committed suicide. Now, the number of alleged crimes committed within the cult is high. The number of prosecutions of adult members is low. The number of prosecutions of Davy Berg is zero. Now, while Rodriguez's actions brought some attention to the cult for a short time... No one was put in prison and the cult continues still now. Now, after legitimately abhorrent policies that David Berg inflicted upon his followers, particularly the horror of Ricky's story, two things are inextricably linked. It seems petty and ineffectual to ridicule the cult leader. That said, few people deserve ridicule more than those who exert power for their own needs without a single thought for those who they will power over. To offset the feeling of despair and wretchedness experienced by others, it's extremely important to make fun of cult leaders for the things that we're terrible at. But where are we going to start with that? A good place to start is any any Berg's complete and utter ineptitude at prophecy. Now, this guy could not predict his way out of a paper bag. For someone who claimed to be a messenger of God, he had his wires crossed fucking so badly, and it was particular when it came to telling people about the end of the world. Of course. Now, you see, the Children of God wasn't just a sex and commune cult. It was also, in its own way, a doomsday cult full of people preparing for the end of the world. Now, throw into that the mix, and it's easier to understand why sex features so prominently in their doctrine. If we're all going to die, we might as well go out fucking. Berg called the apocalyptic end of everything end time. Not even end times. No, it's end time. And it was entirely unoriginal in that he based some of his theories on the book of Revelation in the Bible. Right, so the book of Revelation. Now, if if it's been a while for you guys to sat there going, oh, do you know, I'm going to read the book of Revelation, you know, here's a refresher. Now, a dude called John ate some cheese before bed and had an intensely screwy dream, then woke up and wrote it all down. Pretty sure it was an exact description of what the world was going to end. The problem is, the dream was so incredibly trippy and vaguely transcribed it's open to guesswork, interpretation, and conjecture ever since. Now, the second problem is that due to its high interpretability and general Armageddon-y flavour, cult leaders absolutely fucking love it. It's like they're heroin. There's all sorts of imaginary and fire and swords and earthquakes and creatures ready to have their storylines twisted to the whim of any megalomaniac who comes along. You can pick one of the absolute mental characters in it, and you can claim that 
that you're that guy incarnate, and other people are hard pressed to argue. I am the lamb. I'm the belly of a crow creature thing. Creature. The lamb is pretty hardcore in the Book of Revelation, isn't it? He is, yeah. Fucking hardcore, hardcore lamb. It's just borderline impossible to come up with a counter position to someone who's claiming to be an olive branch or Schrodinger's cat-styled lamb that's slaughtered but somehow also alive. Mm. You can't argue it, can you? Well, you can't argue with it. It's, uh, it's just, yeah. You know, or a vaguely recognisable farmyard animal except for 100% covered in eyes. David Berg, like a lot of other Book of Revelation devotees, was especially enamoured with the two witnesses named in its page, a pair of pivotal to the end times. The always intimate end times meant that the investment and property ownership was seen as unnecessary, so available funds, being basically all the money the cult members had, were encouraged into leadership pockets. Children weren't given much of a traditional education, and it was assumed that this would be little or no use after Armageddon. I mean, it's not wrong. So while they weren't learning much about history or science and politics and literature, they were learning about camping and survival skills so they'd fare better in a dystopian future. Little po- post-apocalyptic urchins, imagine. Excuse me, sir. Have you got anything for radiation poisoning? Please. <laughs> right. So the thing is, if you're going to predict the end of the world, right, you've got to get it right which is the rule that every single person who's ever predicted the end of the world has broken. David Burke, though, had a more astounding record. Um, he's not just wrong, he's really fucking stupidly wrong. Here is a laundry list for you, Les, of things that he said that would happen, but didn't happen. Okay. okay. The comet Kahootek, which was predicted to be brighter than the moon, would turn out to be a monumental fissure. Will kickstart a world-ending cataclysm in 1973. Right, it didn't. The Halley's comet would signal the rise of the Antichrist in 1986. Information which was distributed to the public via a Children of God newsletter called the End Time News, which you could win a Walkie Award for a newspaper containing the most spoilers in its title. I just remember the Halley's comet like being on Blue Peter. Yeah, the news round. Yeah, the Antichrist was coming. It didn't. You've probably gathered it didn't bring the Antichrist. And, I mean, saying that, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen were born in 1986. Have you seen them nowadays? Harrowing. One of them looks like you know how, um, knows when you're going to die, and the other one looks like you knows how you die. They do. There's the other alternate there. Yeah. I had this conversation the other day. I'm like, is she one of the twins? Yeah. And you're like, no, no she's, she's not a twin. She's a younger sister. They all look the same. Scarlet Witch, we're on about. From... They all look the same. I do. Anyway, the DeVito and Karen Zerbe would be two witnesses described in the Book of Revelation and play a pivotal role in the whole end of the world situation. Aside from the fact that there hasn't been any evidence so far that there's even an end of world situation... Ricky ended up cursing both David and Cannon's names, left the court committee suicide. Ricky's going to have no part in that prophecy. David Berg, you know that. Berg would die in 1989, age 70, which was an extremely tenuous inter- interpretation and very boring part of the boot of Daniel in the Bible. He actually died in 1994, age 75, so those last five years would have been embarrassing for him. Still alive? Yes. A spokesperson for the Children of God told reporters that he fell asleep in his sleep, peacefully. 
It's like the fucking inception of sleep. <laughs> Which, of course, is far more comfortable than falling asleep while you're awake screaming. Yeah. Finally, Burke predicted that Christ would return in 1993. Ariana Grande was born in 1993. And Jurassic Park came out yeah, in 1993. Nah. When Christ stubbornly refused to turn up in 1993, Burke explained it away by saying God had given the children of God an extension in order to spread his word more and get ready for the real return of Christ, which is apparently any day now. So, Christ's watching. Incredibly, Berg's failed predictions only lost a few followers here and there. Still forgetting to carry the one and making a predictive error is a damn sight better than when losing a whole planet to a comet strike. So I guess everyone could take this as a win. Yeah. Berg insisted that he was God's prophet for our time, but it seems patently clear that God was just like sort of yanking his chain on it. He was like, no, you know, I'm just joking. I'm a trickster God me. Tricks to God. <laughs> After Berg's death in 1994, his common-law wife, Karen Zerby, known within the cult as Maria, he just met a girl named Maria, took over sending a lot of letters out to his followers, making quite sure they knew she was queen and why. Included in a regal argument were incontestable gems like, Jesus said I am a queen, so that makes me a queen. Can't argue with Jesus, can you? No. I mean, it did have about as much backing up of the facts as sort of any other argument that they ever had, which isn't much. But today, the Family International is at least outwardly a far more moderate organisation. The practice of flirty fishing was discontinued in 1987, partly because of the increasing theft of AIDS. Remember when AIDS was a big thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now it's just like, I'll take tablets. Yeah. Who was that guy, that um, person? It was on The Simpsons. No, South Park, I'm thinking of. They parodied it, they parodied it and got in loads of shit because he was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to go out and spread AIDS to all the children of the world. I don't know. I can remember when Cartman had AIDS, when Cartman was HIV positive. He's like, Are you serious? He's like, I'm not just serious. I'm HIV positive. And he gave Kyle. HIV by giving him a blood transfusion. Remember the one where they were spreading herpes and they yeah. got all the prostitutes to spread herpes to the town. Fucking love South Park. South Park's fucking amazing. Mm. Uh, so due to the practice of effectively fostering children with their aunties and uncles instead of the parents, a movement of members internationally from one commune to another, investigations into tri- child abduction occurred in more than one country, particularly once parents left the group and stated they started looking into getting their children back. From the late 80s, raids targeted reported child abduction or abuse in family homes occurred in numerous countries, the most significant in Argentina in 1989 and Australia in 1992. Now, Australia had its first Children of God home early as 1972, shortly before the Earth wasn't hit by a comet. In May 1992, child services officers raided down one home in Victoria and another in New South Wales on suspicion of child abuse. More than 120 children were removed from the homes and placed into temporary custody, but no evidence of abuse was found and children were returned shortly after. Now, anyone reading Children of God literature will be gently excused for suspecting that children in the cult's homes were perhaps not being treated the best of care that they were entitled to, but authorities really do need actual evidence before they start taking children away from the parents. 
Where cases was not so clear-cut, unfortunately due to a number of factors in the raids globally, botched rage management, the unwillingness of children to impugn their parents, and their inability to recognise their lifestyle as unusual, no arrests were made. Now, throughout its history, Children of God has given its members, including children, instructions regarding how to act when investigated or asked questions by systemites. This coupled with a broad policy of individual name-changing and strenuous secrecy surrounding the identity and location of the cult's leaders means it's a tough group to pin anything on. Numerous leader-sanctioned documents, or purges, were ordered in the cult's later decades, instructing family homes to destroy or censor lists of potentially incriminating or contentious documents. One such instruction from 1991 urges, as our enemies are determined to stop at nothing in order to destroy us, so we should be willing to do whatever is necessary to prevent info from falling into their hands, which could in any way endanger our precious family, which in sort of a cute way of saying, hide the evidence. Directives like this included requests to destroy any potentially damaging photographs and as videos such as those containing nudie cuties. Sure, your stock standard religious leaders ordering you to chuck out your naked photographs another hundred day in the life of children of God. Praise the Lord, Unfortunately, to make tracking people between communes more difficult, orders were also given to destroy most photographs of friends and family, making it even harder for children to know or remember their relatives. Even in the homes where nothing was illegal going on, it is unlikely that children were having a good time in the children of God. Now, destroying the documents is a really neat way of denying to authorities that the lifestyle choices of members are in any way ordered by leadership. It's also a pretty efficient way of telling individual members who may be in trouble with the law that they're on their own. Nothing like washing your hands of responsibility in the flames of a pile of burning letters, of course. In order to herald a new policy and avoid misguided persecution going forward, the group's charter available on their website now includes sweeping statements regarding the treatment of children and code of conduct for members to abide by when dealing with children. It reminds adults in the cult that they are subject to the laws of whatever country they live in, which is a considerable relief after David Berg's opinions that system laws against incest and paedophilia should be taken with a grain of salt. Now, depending on your source and how biased it is, you can poke a stick at membership of Children of God peaking at around 20,000. It currently sort of around 3,000-ish. It seems that once a cult starts operating within the law of the countries it settles in and shaving away the bits that make it unique, it becomes way less attractive for those looking for a truly alternative lifestyle. In 2010, the Family International announced a reboot, a reboot, a reboot. in which major changes to a significant doctrinal teachings and organisational structure occurred, including an abandonment of communal living and permission for members to pursue system jobs and education. Now, with a notable web presence, and on the surface, at least the whimper version of its previous roar, it appears to be a, a benign contemporary Christian offshoot as any. Now, missionary work makes up for most of the group's current mission statement, including building and providing for the underprivileged, although witnessing side of the cult's projects are tinged with a little creepiness in its modes of infiltration. Providing character and faith-building kits for schools, 
to order online, supplying educational material to hospitals and institutions for the disadvantaged, beside clown visits to sick children and public ministering via hugs, it's hard to remove the thoughts of friendly but thorough indoctrination. Yeah. It probably doesn't help that some of the positive behaviour and enhancing videos available for children are called kiddie vidies. Uh. Still, in its current guise, its implication is that the Family International at least means well now. That said, despite the comparatively squeaky image of the Family International's contemporary manifestation, given its past stance on sexuality, the role of women and secrecy, it's probably a good idea just to give them a miss. And don't join a cult. Yeah. So, as the Book of Jan's big book of cult closes, what did you think of that one, Laz? It's an interesting one. David Berg was a filthy fucker, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Horrible bastard. Horrible bastard. Nasty fucking shithead. He is. But yeah, let us know what you think of him. Is I mean, that's got to be one of the worst cults, really. Definitely. I mean, it's not like he killed everyone, like Waco or Jonestown, but... Mm. Mm. It's horrible in other ways. Yeah, just as disgusting in other ways. But yeah, please let us know what you think of it. Do you think that's the worst cult ever? Or are you like, no, you guys weird. It's an alright cult. I'm joining them. Let us know if you do. Um, I will try and find some of those comics. Yeah, yeah. And all that stuff. But yeah, if you do like that and you do want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Email us at enterthedartpodcast at gmail.com. You can also, if you like what we're doing, you can also give us te- um, money on Patreon. Anything from a dollar up to $50. If $10 or more, you choose a case for us to cover. And also, you get free shit sent out every few months as well, like stickers, mugs, T-shirts. Not bad, is it? Also, if you want to as well, just get in touch and talk to us anytime. We're there for you, you know. A lot of people have been emailing and saying, like, oh, they're really enjoying the episodes and um, they like the videos now so they can see what we look like. Oh, good. Unless they're watching, listening on podcast and they still can't see what we look like. Yeah. Unless I upload video podcasts to Spotify, which then just goes weird, so I'm not doing that. But, yeah, let us know what you thought. Um, yeah, the names of our patrons are going up there right now, so you can get your name on there. But, yes, I've been Jan. He's been Les. Take care. Bye-bye. See ya.